you happy warriors to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. And uh, I call you happy warriors because this show is focused not just on your bodies, but on your souls as well. And every single listener to this show, if you are a regular listener to this show, I can assure you that you have a young and vibrant soul. What is more, we're all happy warriors because in order to live productively, you've got to fight every single day. You've got to fight against the forces of entropy, if nothing else. You fight to maintain your possessions. After all, Everything is trying to rust. Everything needs paint. Everything needs constant repairing. That's a fight. You fight to build and maintain your family. Yeah, every single day there's a challenge there. You fight to maintain your business or your profession or your career because there are challenges to that all the time. Life is a fight. And that's a good thing because to stop fighting, to stop seeking and to stop striving Well, that's to die. And I call you not just warriors, but happy warriors. Because to throw yourself into the fight for eight or ten hours a day, six days a week, is one thing. But to do all that consistently with a debonair smile on your face and a jaunty pace to your stride, to do all that while generating an irrepressible surge of happiness welling up in your soul, well, that means that you are spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming. It means you're devoted to your faith, your family, your finances, and your friends, knowing that ultimately you can triumph over those who both intentionally and unknowingly promote a dark abyss of satanic secular socialism and all the many evil social pathologies it generates. When I reveal how the world really works, it's in the hope that you will help defeat those pathetic creatures of modern secular fundamentalism, those orphans in history who possess neither Judeo-Christian fortitude nor even pagan ferocity, which would almost be welcome, those hideous hermaphrodites and fanatical feminists running our media, education, government bureaucracies, who possess neither the strength of men nor the intuitive wisdom of women. Each of you happy warriors, gentle giant, humble heart, ready to make a difference. And you see, something you may not know about being a happy warrior is just how much I respect you. That's right. There's not a one of you who I wouldn't get up for to give my seat on the train. I respect happy warriors because I get what you do. You're doing it diligently and professionally. It all makes sense and it earns my respect. Who else earns my respect? Well, I'll tell you. Plumbers, that's who. Yeah, I respect plumbers. Who else? Uh, I respect soldiers. I respect the mechanic who makes my car run beautifully. Oh, you know who? The accountant who prepares my taxes. Lawyers. Now, careful now. Not all lawyers. Because many lawyers hurt 
transactions. Because you think about it, if a transaction is faulty, who gets blamed? Your lawyer, right? Why did he let you do it? And if your transaction is a wonderful success and makes a ton of money, your lawyer just gets his usual fee, and that's about it, unless you're very clever and you make sure that your interests and your lawyer's interests align a little bit more than just on the basis of a fee. But otherwise, most lawyers have a vested interest in stopping you from doing deals. They have a vested interest in obstructing a transaction because a transaction obstructed can never go wrong. And so you'll never know the opportunity you missed. But there is a rare kind of lawyer, the lawyer who lubricates a transaction and makes it happen. That's one I respect. Nurses, nurses in hospitals, yep, I respect them. Uh, Guys working on oil rigs, yep, I respect them. Here's another one. You you remember the 2012 uh, Olympics in London? Do you remember Usain Bolt? Yeah, I respect Usain Bolt. I respect him for making the job of running 100 meters in nine and a half seconds look easy. I respect the men and women on the flight decks of commercial aviation who with their calm competence really make travel possible. I respect P.G. Wodehouse and Alexander McCall Smith whose sunny little stories may never have won literary awards from academia, but they could always be counted upon to lift you away from your everyday cares and concerns into a bright world of goodness, humor, and optimism. I respect the late Rita Franklin, because nobody could sing about respect the way she did. Look, I'm, I'm sure you get it, right? Your rabbi reserves his respect for those who do the tough, challenging tasks that add value to my life. Those tasks that not everybody can do. I not only respect these people, I also appreciate them. Because the professionalism with which they carry off their work fills me with inspiration. All these remarkable people share another striking quality as they make possible our safe and comfortable lives. You know what this other quality is? You and I can easily understand exactly what they do for us. I really do not need the International Association of Plumbers to tell me that Anthony, who has solved so many water crises for my family, is really, really good at what he does. I need no certifying agency to assure me that my tax preparer is so capable that he almost makes me feel sorry for the IRS. Well, that's a bit of an overstatement. But he's good. I need depend on nobody else to confirm for me 
that Usain Bolt runs the way that Paganini used to play the violin. I myself, all by myself, I know that that nurse and that airline pilot are amazing at their jobs and I do not need to check up on their credentials. My dentist, I've never looked at the degree on his wall. I have no idea what school he attended and I don't care because I already know how good he is. You see, when people do jobs that are self-evidently fantastic, you don't need anybody else to tell you that they're good. And it's wonderful to have professionals like that in your life. And it's also wonderful to be one of the fortunate professionals yourself whose work stands on its own. You don't need to take refuge in the credentialism of the modern academic world. Because you see, there are a whole lot of activities that bring fortune and money and respect on people's heads, and yet there's a part of you that says about them, when is the kid going to say the emperor has no clothes? You think to yourself, you know, now tell me again why am I imp impressed? Is it only because I'm a herd animal and I'm impressed because a whole lot of other people are impressed? Everybody respects celebrity. And this person is a celebrity. And so, obviously, he must surely earn my respect as well. But that's not really good enough. It's a different thing when you yourself do work that stands on its own. And when you know people who are accessible to you, whose work stands on its own professionalism, and it's on, a, on its own competence. It's just absolutely amazing. But wait a moment. Am I really being a nice person? Shouldn't I respect just about everybody? After all, in some way, wouldn't you say that everybody contributes to the fullness of my life and the fullness of your life? Look, I've now got to place truth ahead of niceness, which I'm sure you've never, ever heard me do before. But I do believe that it is more important that I tell you the truth than that I massage you with what? You got it. If you're a regular listener, you know this is not the show to come to if you feel like a massage with warm butter. But if you are ready for the truth, no matter how painful it might feel, if you're ready for the truth, even if it comes at you like a dowsing of cold water, well then, you're in the right place. Because this is the show on which your rabbi reveals how the world really 
works. And so the notion that all people do things of equal value, well, that's a myth. It's right up there with Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. It's simply not true. There are plenty people who do things that deserve no respect whatsoever. There are plenty people who not only do not add any value to my life, but I will tell you, they significantly diminish it. An example you ask? Sure, no problem. Professors of race and gender diminish my life substantially. How? Because they influence their students in the direction of their own destructive ideologies. And this way, they end up increasing the number of people in society with whom I must interact, people who are dysfunctionally focused on materialistic factors like skin or sex, rather than on spiritual factors of character and conviction. And so all of a sudden, the, the person who drives my bus and the, uh, the people I talk to at offices and uh, the people who serve me in stores, all of a sudden, due to the activities of professors of race and gender, there are more and more of those people with whom I interact who have been infected fatally, who've been contaminated beyond belief by lies and distortions about how the world really works. The only people who sustain that professor's reputation are who? Well, his fellow academics, of course, because there's nothing he does that makes me say, hey, this guy's amazing. But why does he get invited to dinner parties? And why does he get invited onto uh, television shows? Doesn't get invited onto any podcasts that I know, I'll tell you. But uh, that's because all his fellow academics pat him on the back and say what a grand fellow he is in exchange for him doing exactly the same thing for them. Without those fellow academics, I'll tell you the truth, I would mistake this professor of race and gender, I'd mistake his solemn indictments of ordinary people like you and me and the wholesome ways of ordinary people. I'd mistake his indictments of us, well, for the insane ramblings of the village idiot. But it's just that I keep seeing him on television. And so I assume, oh, he must really be somebody. How about the vandals who, in the name of street art, narcissistically deface public spaces with ugly graffiti? They do nothing for me. On the contrary, they make the public spaces I walk through and I drive through and I ride through, they make them ugly. I don't respect those vandals. I despise them. I also despise the city politicians who praise these young hooligans, enough to make some citizens suspect 
that perhaps they just don't really know enough about art to criticize it. But it's city politicians who simply lack the guts and the ability to do the job they were hired for. And so they stand by, and instead of coming down on these vandals, they praise them as, oh, they're artists, they're public space artists. This is First Amendment. They have important things to say. Thank you, you city politicians. You're another group I don't have a lot of respect for. Um, who else? Well, how about modern artists who persuade government to seize my earnings through excessive confiscatory taxation, and they use that money to underwrite the maudlin outpourings of their diseased egos, and they then take these so-called works of art and display them in public places, just waiting in vain for some child to utter the long-awaited words, but the emperor has no clothes. These artists are credentialed by the world of university art departments, by art galleries, and by pompous art critics, without whom their so-called work would be dismissed as the paintings of precocious preschoolers. But... Um, let me pause for a moment, catch my breath, and remind you that our website is rabbidaniellappin.com. And I'm speaking about respect. And you'll notice that most of the people I respect make their money from the people whom they serve. Most of the people who I do not respect make their money through some kind of third party. You, you see what I mean. Uh, plumbers get paid by their customers. Mechanics, accountants, lawyers, nurses, uh, the guys working on oil rigs are paid by the companies they work for. Uh, the, the airline pilots, etc., etc. Um, Riders, musicians, um, even even athletes depend on pleasing their enthusiasts, their fans, basically their customers. But if you notice, all those I was talking about, whom, well, let's let's say those I do not respect. Well, who pays them? Well, it's very simple. Think about it. Do you really think that uh, students pay their teachers? If that were so, there wouldn't be teacher unions. No, teachers don't see their customers as their students. Not at all. Uh, the, the same thing is true for uh, modern artists. They also know that their customers will flow from their self-anointing when their fellow artists and gallery owners anoint them then the customers will come but they're not trying to please the customers on the contrary if you listen 
to the speech of modern artists, they're dedicated to shocking their customers. They think their job is to make us feel uncomfortable. They really do. And we are sometimes foolish enough to go along with that. Vandals, well, of course, they're certainly not trying to please their customers. And, uh, and so it goes. Whoever you're talking about, the big difference, one of the big differences, I should say, is where their revenue comes from. Does it come from pleasing their customers or does it come via a third party, government, big educational institutions? Now, you might say, what is the difference between a professor and an oil rig worker? A huge difference, I barely have to tell you. I think it's pretty obvious. You could probably make up a list right now of five sharp and important distinctions between a professor and an oil rig worker. And so the resource that is available at our website at rabbidaniellappin.com, it's a resource called the Income Abundance Set. It's exactly what we're talking about. Because if you decide that you want to make your living, you want to generate revenue by being a modern artist, I'm sorry, I wish I could help you, but I can't. You've come to the wrong address. If you want to make your living as a professor of race and gender, I'm sorry, I cannot help you. I wish I could. Well, I don't really. Uh, if you wanted to make your living as a, uh, well, etc., etc., you get the, I can't help you. But if, on the other hand, you want to serve your fellow human beings, all of God's other children, so effectively that they flock to buy your services or to buy your goods, whatever they are, well, then I can help you. What you want is the income abundance set. So head over to rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, you'll easily find it. You'll be able to read about it. And in doing so, you will be able to determine whether, in fact, this is something that you or somebody you'd like to bless, somebody you'd like to give it to as a gift in your orbit. But you will quickly see that for anybody who sees that there is honor in making money, that making money is truly evidence that you are serving God's other children. And if you want guidance, inspiration, and direction in how to do just that, well then please go to rabbidaniellappin.com, yeah, www.rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, you will there be able to read up about the income abundance set and find out whether that is something you need to invest in and in so doing, bettering your life as well as mine. The beauty of the financial transaction. It's why I almost always put the word holy ahead of money. Holy money. Because when that transfers from, shall we say, you to me, that is then proof that I have done something useful for you. There's some small way or big way I may have improved your life. 
Now, continuing, I hope you're not ready now already to dismiss me as some sort of cantankerous curmudgeon, because there's actually one more group on my list for which I simply am incapable of summoning up any real respect. These are the cosmologists like the late Stephen Hawking and Carl Sagan, or the astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, who you will still see on television often, just as the way you used to see Stephen Hawking and Carl Sagan all the time. Uh, These are people who study the vastness of the universe. And then they talk to us, but they talk in a language that perhaps only they understand, as they describe black holes and big bangs and lonely quarks. The only reason I even know their names is because they and others like them are mutually self-credentialed by their friends and colleagues at the universities and think tanks and scientific organizations that they all populate. But, But really, in what way has my life ever been improved? by Carl Sagan or uh, Stephen Hawking or uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? No! I can't think of a single thing they've done for me. I've got to tell you, it is close to impossible to even think of one single thing they've ever done for anybody. Theories about the start of the universe? Thank you very much. For nothing. Incomprehensible explanations of what lies beyond the furthest star. I mean, come on, who cares? I'm just not a fan of the telescope. The telescope has cured no disease and spurred little in the way of invention. Oh, look, there is certainly wonder in peering into the telescope eyepiece one starry night and somebody showing you the rings of Saturn. I've been there, I've done that. And I'm going to say something now I I hesitate about, but I thought I would. Even putting a man on the moon was mainly an exercise in national strutting yielding little in the way of useful progress. I was not yet an American in the summer of 1969 when that happened. Uh, But, you know, I was impressed. I mean, I I thought to myself, yay for America, right? Uh, Let's face it, Botswana didn't put a man on the moon. Not even Russia put a man on the moon. But in terms of actually improving anybody's life, look, it yielded nothing in the way of useful progress. Seriously. Now, I will tell you that whenever funding for NASA comes up, N-A-S-A, whenever funding comes up, uh, at that point, NASA always releases breathless news releases about how they found water on Mars, or signs of life on Neptune, or people on Pluto, whatever it is. Um, because they know that uh, uh, congressmen have to face their constituents, and many constituents will say, you know, why did you okay another 390 
billion dollars for space research. Uh, another thing that bureaucrats breathlessly do is they list all the inventions supposedly resulting from space exploration. I'm sorry, folks. It's a crock. It's a crock. Among them, you'll hear them, oh, Tang is, remember that orange drink? That's from space research. Teflon is from space research. Barcodes. Remember, the barcodes are marvelous things. But I'm sorry, barcodes didn't come from space research. Teflon didn't come from space research. Tang didn't come from space research. And the various experiments that have been done in space, very few of which have any practical outcome, um, you know, like making uh, microscopic, uh, perfectly round balloon spheres. Um, you know what? That was already happening on Earth anyway. So the notion that space research had to happen in order to bring... I'm sorry, it's not true. There is almost nothing of any value to your life or mine that has come from the billions of dollars that have been invested in space research. Sorry, just, it's not there. By contrast with the telescope, which I don't much care for, I love the microscope. Forget about pointing a lens at the macro. Instead, I advise you to focus on the micro. Look, if I tripled the length of this podcast, if I multiplied it by a factor of 10, if I spoke to you for the next 10 hours, there still wouldn't be enough time to list even 1% of the countless benefits that have flowed to humanity from peering into the small Exploring the atom has yielded incalculable returns compared to the big, fat nothing that has come to us from exploring the cosmos. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I guess if you haven't decided yet that I'm a cantankerous curmudgeon, you're probably moving in that direction. Now, I hope not. Because I, I hope you're thinking about this, and, and, and I hope you say, wait a second, maybe there is even just a germ of truth in what my rabbi is saying. Don't point a lens at the macro. Focus on the micro. Think about the benefits that have come from looking small instead of looking huge. Just think about it. As I've spoken about exploring the atom. Nuclear power with its ultimate promise of literally freeing us from drudgery. It's only possible because we peered downwards into the tiny atom, not upwards into the huge universe. Nothing's come from that. Knowledge of microbes, germs, viruses, along with the cures for many diseases, microcircuits, miniature electronic devices that allow doctors to peer deep into our bodies, re-engineering DNA that makes even little unborn kids with certain problems get fixed up in utero. That's all through molecular work, not huge stuff, miniature stuff. How about metallurgical breakthroughs? that allow our dentists to insert miraculous titanium implants 
into the mouths of, of those of us uh, for whom uh, teeth have uh, ceased working as well as they should. How about building turbine blades for jet engines and making breakthroughs in batteries possible? All that is from peering down to the atomic and molecular levels. That doesn't come from looking at the sun and the moon and the stars. That doesn't come from looking at other galaxies and nebulae and, and so-called uh, um, uh, dark... Uh, forget it, I'm not even, I'm not even going there. It's, it's, it's all discussions of things you and I cannot even comprehend. We literally cannot tell whether the person talking to us about these cosmological phenomena, whether they're making it all up, or whether they're reporting what they believe that is, is real. Look, all of the progress in um, miniaturization, micro-encapsulation spheres that can remove pollution, how about lasers? Lasers are used in more applications than there's time for me to list. Not to mention that miraculous smartphone you love. All these things are the results of probing into the tiny, mind-boggling benefits in medicine, electronics, artificial intelligence, communication, and more, all achieved with a microscope, not the telescope. Can you think of even one way that cosmology or astrophysics has added to your life? <laughs> no, I didn't think so. Probing into the hugeness of the universe, along with its vast, incomprehensible distances, measured, if you please, in light years, right, which is the number of miles that light would travel at 386,000 miles per second in an entire year. These are distances that our brains cannot wrap themselves around. Can you explain to me how probing into all of that has brought any value at all into your life? I don't think so. The website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Okay, www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Don't forget uh, to write to us. There's a tab there to contact us. Love hearing from you. You may want to make sure that you receive Thought Tools or Susan's Musings or Ask the Rabbi. You can also look at uh, previous columns in those categories. And there have been some terrific ones lately. There have really been some, I, I think, wonderful questions that have been asked to us, including somebody who just recently wrote asking, um, how do I persuade my relatives that their beliefs in veganism are wrong? And um, we provided, Susan Lappin and me provided the on and I provided the answer, uh, but we were also a little curious about what about the person who wrote to us is so bothered by somebody else wanting to be a vegan. And so we speculated on some of that all at rabbidaniellappin.com. In the store, you will also be able to read about the resource that is available specially for you called the Income Abundance Set. Um, it's two books and three hours of audio instruction. The idea is the audio instruction is designed for you to listen and re-listen to 
while you are resting, while you're exercising, while you're walking the dog or going for a bike ride or maybe even commuting or on, a, on an airplane flight. All of that uh, is extremely useful. The two books are for reading and obviously it does exactly what the name suggests, the Income Abundance Set. So all of that at RabbiDanielLappin.com. And so um, here I am talking about why it is that I respect people who do real things that not everyone can do and who improve my life practically. But I listed cosmologists and astrophysicists, people who grapple with the vastness of the universe as, yeah, I, they do nothing for me because I believe that greatness is found by digging down into the, into the small rather than looking upwards into the heavens for the huge and the great. Look, um, let me tell you, even the omnipresent God himself, God of infinite power, infinite reach, that God, isn't he mostly known to us as a still, small voice, as he appeared to Elijah, right, in the first book of Kings, chapter 19. Still, small voice, not in earthquakes, not in storms and hurricanes. Yeah, you know, I mean, yes, there, there are things to see there as well. But if you really want to find your personal relationship with God, then don't look at the sun and the moon and the stars. If you actually think about it, that way led to the idolatry of the olden days. Even though the sun and the moon and the stars are the creations of God, nonetheless, people worship them. Don't look to the heavens. That's not where to find God. As a matter of fact, the key to finding God is actually given in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 12. The verse says, and it's talking about the way to God. And you know what it says? I'm, I'm reading it to you exactly, translating directly from the Hebrew. It is not in the heavens. What's not in the heavens? Well, that way to God. It's not in the heavens. Stop looking up there. Um, you know, every now and then, I promise to draw up a list of recommended books. When I do, one of the books that will be on that list is a book called Witness by an amazing man called Whitaker Chambers. And I want to read to you, if I may, just a few sentences. Whitaker Chambers was a hardcore communist taking orders from Russia. He was spying for Russia in the United States of America in the, in the 40s and 50s. And uh, finally, he saw the truth. He, he broke away. He expected to be assassinated like Trotsky was. But uh, miraculously, he, he began to work for Time magazine, and he wrote the book Witness. Listen to a few sentences. My daughter was in her high chair. I was watching her eat. She was the most miraculous thing that had ever happened in my life. I liked to watch her even when she smeared porridge on her face or dropped it meditatively on the floor. My eyes came to rest on the delicate convolutions of her ear those intricate, perfect ears. The thought passed through my mind, 
No, those ears were not created by any chance coming together of atoms in nature, which was the communist view. No, they could have been created only by immense design. The thought was involuntary and unwanted. I crowded it out of my mind, but I never wholly forgot it or that occasion. I had to crowd it out of my mind. If I had completed it, I should have had to say, design presupposes God. I did not then know. At that moment, the finger of God was first laid upon my forehead. And so a communist and atheist found God not through huge planets, solar systems and galaxies. No, through his daughter's ear. He looked down into the small. And that's where he felt God first laid his finger on Whitaker Chambers' forehead. And so what I'm saying is, by all means, explore, probe and contemplate the small things around you. Because from them flow the wonders of comprehension. As for those race and gender professors, those vandals, those self-anointed artists, and yes, the cosmologists, look, I, I want to make clear, I would never be deliberately rude to any of them. They are, of course, due the respect due to any creature created in the image of God. But I do not much respect what they choose to do for their livings. I don't much choose to respect what they do with the hours of their day. As for those who really do important things for us, well, just check up and see who do you have on the contact list on your smartphone. There are probably not too many astrophysicists, modern artists, and pseudo-academics, right? If your contact list is like mine, you got your plumber, you got your dentist, you got your car mechanic, you got your accountant. Maybe elsewhere on that everyday marvel of miniaturization we call our phones, you might have music created by maybe Aretha Franklin. You might have audio books written by writers whose work brightens your days. That's right. That is what we've got. I'm certainly not going to be, I would never be rude to anybody, but my deep respect is reserved for those people who do real jobs, real jobs whose competence and professionalism I don't need anybody to explain to me. I can see it myself. People who do real things. And of course, my respect is also reserved for you, ladies and gentlemen, the happy warriors, the regular listeners of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. I respect you and I value you for all you do 24-7 as you make your lives work. You build your families. You build your professional relationships. You build your business relationships. You build your social and friendly relationships. And you build your faith relationships. And that's what you do day in and day out. You have my respect. Thank you for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. 
Thank you for spreading the word. You're doing a great job on that. I appreciate each and every time you tell someone about the show. And I wish you good times in the week ahead. Good times with your finances. Remember the income abundance set at rabbidaniellappin.com. I wish you good times not only with your finances, but your friendships, your family, and your faith. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.